You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, my name is Tanya Pinkins, and I'm the host of the podcast You Can't Say That on the Broadway Podcast Network. This fall, I have a special treat for you. In honor of my debut feature film, Red Pill, Marissa Lynn Daniels Studio has been hosting weekly conversations with my fellow Broadway colleagues and co-host Sierra Renee about the red pilling of America. These conversations create a safe space for us to talk about the things that are on our mind with an election and a global pandemic. So join us for the red pilling of America. A spotlight series every Saturday at 5 p.m. or on the Broadway Podcast Network. You can't say that. BPN.FM forward slash YCST. Join the conversation. smart you is important you is dead tanya pinkins horror film red pill brings african-american perspective to progressive movement we are a majority in this country and we're gonna win the election do you know what the red pill is a red pill is someone who infiltrates a group and then destroys them from the inside. This place is spooky. Some people like to live dangerously. Gas, why are you so jumpy tonight? You know what, guys? I'm gonna go back tomorrow. Did you hear about the creature woman that attacked a father and son hunting down here? I don't see the case. This place creeps me out. We should call the sheriff's office. The only people missing or dead are brown people. They're after all of us. What do we do, Amelia? We die. But we take some of them with us. 
we don't we we don't know each other, but I was fascinated uh, learning about you in order to talk to you today. So tell me what you studied at Berkeley. Communications, uh, sort of advertising and marketing, which I didn't think would come in handy, and it didn't uh, until I got to the place in my career where I could sort of make choice career choices. You know, for the first for the first bit of your career, you just you'll do whatever, right? Um, and then after yeah. a while, I started to understand my place and my sort of function in our industry. And I and I started to realize the work that I had done about like what media does to society, right? Like at, at Cal, the communications degree is is more theoretical than practical. Uh, which actually is serving me really well right now, right? Sort of understanding what we put out into the world um, as uh, as creators and the effect that has. You know, um, uh, one of my favorite stories was when we were we were in a, a advertising class. We had to go through um, a magazine and just count the number of white people, black people, and other. And then at the end of the class, we just said, we just gave our numbers and what impressions we had. And uh, and one of the groups was like, we had a weird moment because there was a post-it ad and it was just a thumb. So all you could see was the thumb. Now it was clearly a white thumb, but we didn't really know how to count that. And this black guy from the back of the room goes, no, that's the thumb of the oppressor. You better count that. <laughs> but what's funny is like, that's stuck in my head that like the littlest things are salient to people. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and so I think about that constantly these days, constantly. Yeah. That reminded me of a story that happened to me. You know, this is the red pilling of America because I, I I made this film called Red Pill. And I feel like the world has been red pilled. We've all been sold this bill of goods about how life in the world works. And at one point we had an editor looking at the film and um, this character played by Ruben Blades, Ruben Blades uh, says, you know, they killed all my people but kept their name and someone else says for the roads, you know, like the road signs. And he says, if I were born in this country, I'd run for president. And someone else says, you not from the right side of the wall. <laughs> and this, um, this Caucasian editor said, I mean, is that really appropriate? What country is he from? And what wall are you talking about? Uh, and I was like, all of them, y'all did it in every country. <laughs> There's really no country where that didn't happen. <laughs> yep. So for brown people, we understand. It's just clear. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you don't need to. There's no there's no explanatory comma needed there. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what is your place in this business, because I, I I read that you are Iranian American. What generation? How many generations? So my parents came here in the early '70s from Iran. So I was the first generation so first born generation. here. Yeah. Um, and I know you play a lot of South Asians. Yep, I've played some South Asians over the years. I've played Arabs. I've played Middle Eastern people, uh, and then I've played a bunch of characters who's who's uh, <laughs> were sort of not uh, ethnicity. Now, isn't Iran Middle East or South Asian? Iran is considered a part of the Middle East. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and it's hard, you know, Uzbekistan and 
all those places are South Asian, right? I don't know. I don't know how far north South Asian is considered. Uh, certainly, uh, India and Pakistan, uh, but I don't. I, I don't know. I don't know past that. But um, yeah, okay. uh, you know, I, I've played. I played a bunch of different characters. Some having to do with my ethnicity, and some not. And um, we participated in a study uh, a year or so ago, um, this group that I'm a, a member of called the uh, MENA Arts Advocacy Council, MENA standing for uh, Middle Eastern and North African. Uh, uh, and um, we participated in a study with, a, with a, uh, a, an academic named uh, Nancy Wong Yoon uh, who wrote Real Inequality, R-E-E-L. Um, and she basically counted all of the Middle Eastern people in series regular roles on TV. And uh, what we found was that if the role was Middle Eastern, right? Forget about the actor, right? First of all, let's just talk about the Middle Eastern actors. Okay, now that we're talking about Middle Eastern actors, if the role was Middle Eastern, it was deeply engaged in terrorism either doing it or fighting it. If the role was not Middle Eastern, then all, all bets were off, right? So you could, you could have a, a, a Middle Eastern woman, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, playing a lawyer, right, uh, on, on, a, on a legal drama, right? But her character was not Middle Eastern in that. Right. So that's mm. what I talk about when I talk about like my place, right? Sort of understanding like what function am I serving to primarily white storytellers? Right. What are they mm -hmm. doing with me? Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, a lot of times I'm useful um, to play what I call a brown white character. Right. So like just mm. just yesterday, I booked my first job uh, uh, since lockdown happened, um, playing the role of Avery. And Avery is uh, a guy with a dog who drops his dog off at daycare. And it's a cute little part. Right. Now, first of all, put aside the fact that like people like me born in 1977 aren't named Avery. That just doesn't happen. Right. Um, uh, the the production benefits from my brown skin right because what they do is they get to create a more multicultural looking cast right but i'm still playing the role of avery so uh so in in some respect that character is white right and the character was written by a white guy um and i don't I don't blame him for going like, yeah, it's just a guy with a dog. I'll name him Avery. It's the, it's a, it's a name that popped into his head. Uh, he's, I don't think he was planning to hire a Persian guy. Right. But he just wrote the part of Avery. Right. So for me, part of what I do when I book a role like Avery is I, I send an email that, um, that, that, my team then forwards to casting, which then forwards to the writing uh, people to ask to change that character name to um, to something Middle Eastern, right? So now there is a Amir. Thank you. Um, so now there's a Middle Eastern character who has a dog who's dropping his dog off at daycare, right? Real straightforward. 
because I love this. I, I think you you might know this, but but most white people in this country don't know any brown people, right? 75% mm-hmm. of white people don't have any brown friends. That's a high fucking number, right? Which means that their entire concept of brown people is what they see on TV. And I don't think it's any wonder why most white people in this country think Muslims equal terrorists, right? And brown people are criminal welfare queens. Yeah, exactly. You know, Color of Change did a whole thing with um, black people in, in Hollywood, and they said there are way more judges in television than there are in real life. And they're judging black people terribly and administering this horrible justice. You know, they're putting the the words of white people's point of view about black people, putting it in black people's mouths. So I actually wrote an essay on a a medium of called, you know, uh, all of American entertainment culture get out. They just put their brown skin on their on their bodies. <laughs> There's a, 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 a guy I know named Stephen Thrasher, who you definitely should follow on Twitter. He okay. uh, he has tweeted a lot and he, about his obsession with black cops in pop culture, and because and and what he talks about is he believes, and I, I hope I'm paraphr- paraphrasing him correctly, is that black cops in pop culture help white. America feel better about policing in America because they see it as, oh, right, see, there's these these good black people and they're holding bad black people accountable. So when you see black people uh, being abused by the system, you know, that's not a, a white black thing. It's it's also a black black thing. It's it's not racial, right? And uh and it, it's I don't think it's any um accident that suddenly we're seeing a lot more black cops in in pop culture. It 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 speaks to this sort of discomfort that I think white people feel with with policing that they can't quite wrap their minds around, right? And so it, it I think I'm not saying that Hollywood is purposely casting black people as cops to to make white Americans feel better about cops. But I think that it's just interesting, right? And and that's what I talk about when I talk about our function. Like, what are we, what are we doing uh, uh, on purpose by accident? What are, what are writers doing on purpose by accident? But what is that accomplishing? How is that art affecting society and, and making people think about things, you know? Well, you know, I, I say that I have um, graduated as an actor to the point of being one of the props that speaks. What, uh, did you say props last that speaks? Season, last season of, one of the props that eats. Oh, eats. <laughs> one of the props that eats. And um, I got, I was elevated to the role of Madam Secretary on the show, Madam Secretary. Oh. I was a recur. I was not a recur. I was not a regular. I was a day player. And I had very few lines. But they could say, the black woman is a title character on Madam Secretary. I had nothing to do. I was definitely a prop that eats. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. as a set piece, it's a great narrative for them to tell. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And yeah, so they're benefiting again. They're benefiting from your, the color of your skin. Um, Chenjirai Kumanika, who, um, who, uh, co-create, co-created, a uncivil. You have to put that in the chat. Chenjirai Kumanika. (laughs) All right. Well, just look up the uh, podcast uncivil, which, uh, which, If you have, okay, so the fact that you're writing it lets me know you don't know what I'm talking about. You need to listen no. to the podcast because my friend said, oh, you should listen to Uncivil. Uh, it's a it's a, it's a a history podcast. And I was like, no, thanks. Uh, and then I said, no, it's a, it's a history podcast about the Civil War. And I was like, definitely no, thanks. It's like, no, no, no. It's a history podcast about the Civil War from the perspective of Black people. And I was like, I'm in. So, uh, so oh. it's it's brilliant. So Chenjerai talks about um, uh, blackness as technology, which Ooh. when he said that phrase, it blew my mind. And I was like, you need to write something about this. And he's like, man, I'm always I'm always working. But he's he's um, he's incredibly brilliant, and and I and I have mad respect for him. But. But I think that's what we're talking about, right? So your blackness was used as a technology by the producers of Madam Secretary to an end, to some end, right? Now, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's many ends there, right? Uh, uh, and we could get into that all day, but, but it's interesting that y- y- they're basically commodifying oh, yeah. the color of your skin, the color of my skin, you know, when, whenever I get cast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. No, no, no. I mean, I'm loving this conversation. Loving it, loving it. you got this white woman over there in the corner that you're married to. What is the conversation between the two of you? <laughs> she's, she's one of the good ones. No. Um, it's, it's, I know it's, about the poster. Um, I will, will I see you nice white ladies at the next Black Lives Matters march? <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, that was, that was before the, um, before the women's march, um, in 2000, uh, uh, right after Trump was elected. Right. Um, mm-hmm. a, a couple of, uh, black women who I, uh, uh, respect and follow on Twitter, um, uh, uh, Joma Oluo who wrote, uh, so you want to talk about race, which is brilliant. Um, and uh, and I think the other one who talked about it, I, if I'm not mistaken, was Jamila Lemieux. Um, yeah, no. Okay, so so they were both talking about how they had a whole bunch of feelings about the Women's March leading up to it, because um, all these you know all these white women were ready 
for that women's march, right? They were like, we're going to hit the streets. And they were like, write your, uh, write your emergency contact info on your arm because you never know what's going to happen. The co- you know, I, you know uh, there, was, there was this real sense, right? There was this, there was this we're going to take it to the streets. Um, and, uh, you know, forgetting that the majority of white women voted for Trump, right? Forgetting that cops don't generally beat up white women. Right. And so uh, and and I had been paying a lot of attention to Black Lives Matter in the in the years leading up to Trump's election and had been to a few marches. Uh, uh, you know, I had seen white people at those. Not a, not a huge number. But so I, I related to what Jamila and, and Ajoma were saying about how God, it feels like it feels like these white women should have hit the streets a little sooner. Right. So so I made that sign. Right. I'll, I'll see you nice nice white ladies at the next Black Lives Matter march, right? Um, and, uh, and it was funny because a lot of black women on that day were like, thank you, thank you. And what was interesting was I had a white woman go, yeah, yeah, invite me. And I was like, I was like, well, hold on. You've been invited. I don't know if you heard it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if you caught that. I don't know if you were paying attention, but the invites are there. It's on the Facebook, right? So, um, so it, it, yeah, it was it was cool that it it went viral and people responded to it. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, being married to a white woman is um, is uh, fucking American, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and we, yeah, I've married a couple of white guys, so yeah, yeah, it's American. <laughs> we have um we have lots of conversations about it and um and it's interesting she has taught me so much about uh misogyny right like i was not a feminist before i met her uh mm. i think i think if if i had to if if someone had asked me if i was a feminist i probably would have said sure but do we really need it i mean aren't we equal at this point um, and so, so I learned a lot about her, uh, 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 from her, I should say. Um, and, uh, and yeah, we have a lot of conversations, uh, about race as well. Um, I think that, uh, I think that she works very hard. She doesn't consider you brown. She doesn't consider she me brown. Consider you brown. She, right. yeah, she, she goes, I don't even see you as Persian. You're, you're just, you're just, a, you're just a nice guy. No, she doesn't say that. Um, she, no, <laughs> no, yeah. I didn't even realize you were brown when I started dating you. No, no, no. She never said anything like that. Uh, <laughs> um, no. And it's funny, you know, there, there, it's so interesting when I talk about days when I'm having feelings about, um, my place and about what's hard for me. And it's so interesting to seek solace with a white person, right? With the person who I love most in the world, but who is inherently a part of white supremacy, right? And, um, and you know, but, but it's great. Like she, she's, she's the kind of person who's like, yeah, we're all racist. All, all, all white, all white people are racist, and it's our job to fight against that. And and uh, you know, I think, fuck it. I, I mean, I'm anti-black also, right? Because I grew up in America, right? So it's my job to fight against my anti-blackness every fucking day, right? Any any thought I'm that might pop into my head, I I, I have to t- take a step back and go, ha ha. 
I know where that came from. That came from my parents or that came from some TV show I saw when I was a kid. Right. And I think, uh, I think, I think my wife does that too. Um, you know, we trip up like always, but, but I think, uh, I think we, we support each other in that we, um, we hold each other accountable in that. Um, it's great. It's great. I'm lucky. I'm really lucky to, to have to have in a way that I mean, a lot of brown people wouldn't be. I saw you taking down somebody who went for uh for um you know Gabrielle Carteris. Like you like line by line dissected them, took it that took them down. Where do you get the uh you know the moxie for that? That's I not that's know. you know, tell me, you know, where does that come from? You I guess you weren't raised to be a a, a shy brown person. I wasn't, no. And you know what's interesting is a lot of Persian people are. Um, I think that I think that a lot of uh, Iranian immigrants are like this and they pass it on to their kids. And I think this comes from Iran where keep your head down, don't say anything too political, just, just do your job, just take care of your family and it'll be all right. Right. I think that I think a lot of Iranians brought that over from Iran and I think a lot of them passed it on to their kids. I also think there's a value to a lot of Iranians in their proximity to whiteness, which is why they, you know, just want to hang back and not step out of line. But for me, I just always (laughs) I don't know, I've always been mouthy and I've always been really um, I'm a little bit of a scorekeeper. Uh, my, okay, thanks, Boo. Uh, my, uh, I, I, I'm a little bit of I'm a little bit of a scorekeeper, and I and so I have a real like sense of like that's right, that's wrong, that's a lie, that's the truth, right? And when I see someone um, tell some lies, you know, there's 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 some people out there right now uh, who are telling lies about um, about what's going on uh, at the highest levels of SAG-AFTRA. And I don't like that. And so I, um, I try to call it out when I can. It's tough because, um, because uh, you know, a lot like conspiracy theories that come from the right, sometimes when people are angry enough, they just latch on to these conspiracy theories and they, the truth doesn't really get into them. So, um, so yeah, you know, I'll post stuff. Uh, I, I try to... Um, I try to do that in moderation uh, because <laughs> you know that old cartoon where there's a guy saying, oh, "Hold on, honey, I'll be right there." There's someone said something wrong on the internet. Uh, it's like that, you know. That's a rabbit hole that was <laughs> ever fucking end. Um, so you know, have you ever had pushback from a, a show where you asked them to change the name? So I've never had a, a name that matched your culture. Um, I, I, I've never had, um, pushback necessarily. Uh, there have been times where, um, they said no. Uh, uh, so I mean, I guess that is pushback, but I've, I've never, uh, I've never had any negative experiences with it. Um, uh, where people go, we disagree with, with your point there. Right. Um, I've had people go, well, that sort of that sort of changes it. I had one person say that changes it to a story that I don't really want to tell, and I was mm-hmm. like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> um, 
you know, I have, I did have one time where I did a, I did a sitcom and instead of having my agent go to casting, go to the writers, I went to the writers because I forgot to do it until I got to the set. And they said later that they didn't like that I did that. They didn't like that I went up to the writers and asked. Um, uh, but uh, but I would say I would say probably two thirds, three quarters of the time they're happy to do it. The one that uh, I just got cast on Avery, the the showrunner was uh, emailed back. I love that idea. Thank you. Yes. How's this name? Right. Um, so uh, I, I think that. It's such a small thing, but I think it's really powerful. But I think it's small enough that most writers, most showrunners are happy to do it if it sort of works, you know? There's been times where I asked for it too late. Well, that's nice. Someone already said my name or something like that. But um, but yeah, I think for the most part, people are really to it. So oh, say that again, Tanya. I think I lost you. No, no, no. I just was, you've already been established in someone's mind that, you know, in mouth that they've said you, then they can't undo it. Yeah. So yeah. tell me the story of stuff and healing justice. So story of stuff is a nonprofit that uh, grew out of a simple YouTube video that came out about 10 years ago, made by a woman named Annie Leonard. And, um, it's it's a really powerful video that has gotten millions and millions of views all around the world and has inspired um, uh, environmentalists um, uh, around the world to create their own sort of initiatives. But it basically talks about how when you have stuff, um, that stuff that you have in your hand has a life before it gets to you and it has a life after it leaves you. Mm. And it affect, when you throw something away, away is a place. And it's usually a place near poor brown people, right? Um, and, and, and when that product is getting on its way to you, right? At the, at the beginning of its life cycle, it's affecting people, right? And so it's, it's really a, a video to encourage people to just consider that in the decisions that they make, whether that's what they buy, where they live, where they go, who they vote for, right? Um, and so I was just a huge fan of the um, of the video and of Annie's, and uh, and through a, a series of, of sort of randomish events, I became a board member uh, on the story of stuff. And since then, we've put out a bunch of uh, uh, more videos. Um, you know, story of electronics, story of bottled water. Um, we're engaging in various water fights, like Nestle is trying to steal groundwater all over the world, and we're trying to fight them on that. And um, and then we just made our first... Say again? I said Nestle is the devil. Oh. They went in Africa and told women their breast milk was not good and had them using water mixed with Nestle products to feed children who were then malnourished and dying. And then they bought all the water rights in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. We're, well, I, so I live in LA and, and outside of LA is, is the San Bernardino national forest and they bought water rights uh, from under San Bernardino um, at a cost of a few hundred dollars a year 
And they've had that for decades. And they pull millions of gallons of water that they then bottle and sell to people. So they're stealing our water yeah. and selling it to people at a huge profit. Um, and, uh, and it's gross. I actually put my ear to the pipe that Nestle is using. Uh, and it, it's, I mean, it was unsettling. It was chilling. Right. Um, and, uh, so we just, we just put out our first feature length documentary, which is called, um, the story of plastics. And, uh, and it's all about how, um, you know, there's this, there's this, uh, movement towards using less fossil fuel, right? Mm -hmm. Which is great. But all of the fossil fuel producers need a place to put that oil that they're pulling out of the water since they can't put it in our in our gas tanks as much as they used to. What they're doing now is they're turning that gas into plastic and pushing it on people, right? So so uh, all of that is connected. Right. And I think that what that's what I love about the story of stuff is it's so it, it takes a holistic view of stuff. Um, so, yeah. So I'm a board member. I'm, I'm so, so sort of thrilled and honored to be a, a board member on that. Uh, Annie has since uh, left the story of stuff is now and is now the executive director of Greenpeace USA, uh, although she's still on the board at story of stuff. Um, and then Healing Justice is actually a, a, an organization that I haven't had really any um, interaction with uh, hardly at all. Uh, I'm on the board. I was asked to be on the board uh, a while back, and and uh, and then nothing has happened since then. Um, I think it's a very small uh, nonprofit that basically helps uh, connect people who've been wrongly accused of crimes and people whose um, loved ones. Uh, were victims of crimes and who had um, someone wrongly accused of that crime, right? So it's like, so it's like my wife gets killed. Uh, so I'm, I'm a victim of, of someone's crime. And then someone gets wrongly accused of killing her, right? Ooh. So it connects me with that person who's wrongly accused. And there's, there's, healing there. It's incredibly complex. It's incredibly, um, difficult. Uh, but it's, 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 it's a small nonprofit. Um, and, uh, and, and, and they do great work and I, I am uh, happy to be associated with them, but I don't do a whole lot of interacting with them at all. Tanya Pinkins, and I would love to hear from you. You can text me at 917-724-8998. Tell me what you're up to, and I'll let you know what I'm up to. Text me, 917-724-8998. Let's keep in touch. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now 
and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.